Now concerning the times and seasons, brothers and sisters, you do not need to have anything written to you, for you yourselves know very well that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. When they say there is peace and security, then sudden destruction will come upon them as labor pains come upon a pregnant woman, and there will be no escape. But you, beloved, are not in darkness for that day to surprise you like a thief. You are all children of light, children of the day. We are not of the night or of darkness. So then let us not fall asleep as others do, but let us keep awake and be sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who are drunk, get drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober and put on the breastplate of faith and love, and for a helmet the hope of salvation. For God has destined us not for wrath, but for obtaining salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, so that whether we are awake or asleep, we may live with him. Therefore, encourage one another and build up each other, as indeed you are already doing. This is the word of the Lord. Well, this is one of those Sundays where our country says this is Thanksgiving Sunday. And the lectionary prepared by some of our most brilliant theologians says, no, this is the Sunday to deal with the fifth chapter of Paul's first letter to the Thessalonians. It is Thanksgiving Sunday, but it's the last Sunday we have to deal with this very important letter of Paul to the church at Thessalonica, probably the oldest material we have in the New Testament. Let me review with you. We believe that Jesus died and was raised in the year 28, that Paul had his Damascus Road experience about three years later, probably in 31, that Paul had conducted all of his ministry on the continent of Asia until he had a vision of people in Macedonia, in Europe, in northernmost Greece saying, come over and help us. And he crossed over. We believe it was in the year 49. And he crossed over to Philippi, a city named for Philip of Macedon, father of Alexander the Great. Octavius had fought a famous battle there, had defeated the Greeks, had made this now a Roman colony. Right down the way, about 70 miles west and south of there, was another place called Thessalonica. Eventually the Romans would link all of those cities going toward ancient Byzantium in the Via Ignatia, a famous Roman road. And hundreds of years later, that would be the, the bed for railroad tracks and would host the Orient Express that linked west to east. It was a very significant place. Paul had gone to Philippi, was treated badly, as you remember, when he told these heathen and pagan that their gods were absolutely worthless and they quit buying them. The merchants uh, rose up in rebellion, had Paul stripped to the waist, had him caned and thrown into jail. In the middle of the night, he and those who were with him were singing and praying when suddenly there was some shaking of the earth, Doors of the jail were ajar, and they escaped, went down that Roman road to Thessalonica, 70 miles away. We believe, again, it was in 49. We think it was a year later, in 50, when Paul wrote back to that church this important letter. And though he wrote longer letters, we believe this was the first one he wrote that we have in the Bible. And it certainly is years before the four Gospels were written. So let's take a look at this chapter 5 and see if we cannot find things here that would make us truly thankful. First off, Beloved, you are no longer children of the dark. You are children of the light. You are children of day. For our Lord Jesus Christ has died for your sins. 
so that you, either those already dead or those still living when He comes back again, may live with Him. Anything there for which you can be grateful? Notice that Paul calls you beloved. Beloved. It's a wonderful word that would be used later by the Gospel writers. They said that at the moment Jesus was baptized and was coming up out of the Jordan River, the voice of God spoke to him and said, You are my beloved Son. In you I am well pleased. On the Mount of Transfiguration, when Peter, James, and John saw him with Moses and Elijah, Jesus heard a voice. You are my beloved. I am well pleased with you. And the disciples heard him say, Listen to him. Do what he tells you to do. Beloved, that word is used here of you and me. Same word. Used of us. We are favored of God. God wants good to come to us. We Gentiles know this in Mary's child, Jesus, who died for our sins that we might live with him, who took on our irresponsibilities in the most responsible way ever, who took on to himself all of our wrong decision-making to give us new opportunities to make right decisions with God's help to turn our lives in new and right directions. Anything there you could be thankful for? The other morning I had to get up much too early for me. Uh, one of these early, early prayer breakfasts, not my favorite time of day to pray except alone, uh, not with lots of other people. But I was up early that morning shaving, about to shower, dress, and go to this prayer breakfast when I heard a local news person on television say, Tonight you can watch a meteor shower. Just after midnight, find a really dark place, look up into the heavens, and you can see the meteors. I remembered reading something just a few weeks ago that Sue Kidd had written about that. And so later that day I looked it up. And surely enough she had told about a summer meteor shower in the town where she and her family live. She had talked to her two children and said, I think we should go out in the backyard tonight and see this big raining of meteors. And she tried to describe to them what it would look like, and they finally decided, well, maybe that was a good thing. It was coming about 9.30 that evening in August. So she said we went out in the backyard, no street lights close around us. It was really dark. We lay down on our backs and looked straight up into the heavens, all we could see were billions of stars, billions and billions. No meteors. We waited. No meteors. We waited. Those two were starting to mumble and complain when suddenly the first one came. Wow. It seemed to go from horizon to horizon so quickly, so bright. And just as we'd finished saying, ooh, wow. Another, and another, and another. And then they really started coming one after the other after the other. I tell you, we experienced the presence of God. It was a holy, wonderful, set-apart kind of moment. Some would say, no, it's just some big old rocks entering the earth's atmosphere, and they burn up because they're going so fast, and the friction burns them up. Some do not see, some see. If you see, then you have a reason to be thankful. Then Paul moves on to these three words that had already become so important to him. 
Already he's talked about them earlier in this letter, brief as it is. By the time he writes to the Corinthian church a few years later, he will put the three words in different order. Right now he's saying faith, love, and hope. Later he will say faith, hope, and love. But here they are, these three words. Now, Dr. Beverly Gavinta, a former Barton Clinton Gordy presenter, teaches at Princeton, in her commentary says, our new Revised Standard Version didn't get this just right. And when I got through reading her commentary, I read two or three others who didn't comment about that, and then I picked up Dr. Earl Richards' commentary, and he was saying just what Beverly Gavinta was. They didn't get this verb right. They say, put on faith, love, and hope. And Beverly Gavinta says this is not an imperative verb. This is a past tense verb. It's even passive voice. It's alluding to one's baptism. When you were baptized, you were clothed with faith and love and hope. Earl Richard likes even a little more aggressive image because of the fact that it's supposed to be a breastplate and a helmet. He says, you were armed with faith, love, and hope. Let's look at those one more time. Faith is a synonym for trust. Do you, in fact, have the goodness of God? Does God, in fact, favor you? Not more than anyone else, but just as much as any other person on the planet. Elizabeth Sherrill wrote about taking her three-year-old granddaughter to the beach. We have little grandchildren ourselves, and so I could imagine this, could almost see it in my mind. She said, I'd finally found the day. I'd ask, could the little granddaughter go with me? Her mom and dad said, yes, that would be wonderful. And she said, I was looking forward to this day, just the two of us. I was ready, she said. I had lots of good sunblock to rub on us. I had a great big umbrella. I had a little plastic bucket for her. I had a little shovel for her. I had lemonade. I had a picnic lunch. And I took her little hand with all this other stuff I was trying to carry, and we made our way across the beach. We were out of season. There wasn't another human being in sight. I put the sunblock on her and me. I set up our umbrella. We got our little pail and shovel, and we started building a castle. We brought water, and, of course, it soaks up very quickly into the sand. But we were having the best time. Periodically, we'd have a little lemonade. Finally, we broke out our sandwiches, and we ate. And she said, just as we were getting through with our sandwiches, one of the wrappers started blowing across the beach. And I thought, ah, this is the time to teach a lesson here. We are not mess-ups. We are clean-ups. We are environmentally conscious. I will go chase down that piece of paper. But I'm a grandmother, she said, and the wind was blowing pretty hard by now. And I kept running, and I'd gone about 30 yards maybe when I heard a wail from my granddaughter, and I wheeled around. And she was crying. I said, what's the matter? And she said, I couldn't see you. She said, there was nothing blocking me from her. What she saw was that I was running away from rather than coming toward. And when I hurried back to her with my piece of paper in hand, she said, I couldn't see your face. I couldn't see your the Bible uses this imagery that when God turns his back on us, we're in real trouble. But when God faces us, when we know that God wants good to come to us, 
And Paul says you can know it forever. Since He came to us in Jesus Christ, He doesn't have His back turned to you. He is facing you. You have been clothed with, you have been armed with faith. The next is love. We know this word. It's a Greek word, agape. It's not something you fall into because she's pretty, he's handsome. It's not even something you fall into because you belong to the same sorority, same fraternity, went to the same university. This is about a conscious decision of the mind, wanting good to come to others, being willing to put yourself out for the well-being of another. Kirsten Easton wrote about a 4th of July. She and her family have lived in Southern California all these years. But she said on this particular 4th of July weekend, her mother was not in town, uh, that an aunt had died three states away. And her mother had gone after the funeral and everything was over. They'd all been to that. But now mother was there helping wrap up the estate, getting her house ready to do something about it and so on. And Kirsten said, my dad called me and said, well, mom's out of town, as you know, but fireworks are really good from the balcony of our apartment. You want to come over late 4th of July afternoon? She said, sure, I'll bring the picnic, you and me. We'll just eat on the balcony. What's the firework? He said, that sounds great. She said, I got over to his house late that afternoon, apartment. We we got all of our stuff and we got out on the little balcony ready. Food was good. I'd done a good job, she said. Fireworks began. They were wonderful. We ooh and odd. And then it was time for me to go. And I reached for the sliding glass door and it was locked. I turned to my father and said, did you lock the door? And he said, no. She said, then it locked by itself. And we could see the little latch had fallen down and we were locked out for sure. This little balcony was too far for either of us to jump. Couldn't climb down. And I asked, what are we going to do? He said, we could call the police. I said, no, I think the police are a little busy for this. We could call the fire department. Well, no, I think fire departments have more to do than this. We're not really in any danger right now. We just need to get inside. And then she said, I asked Dad, doesn't Mother have a friend that waters her plants when you all are out of town and she waters her friend's plants when she's... He said, yes, yes. She said, what, what is her number? I don't know. I don't know her number. And so Kirsten said on the little cell phone, we called my mother four states away and asked, what's the friend's name who waters your plants, who has a key to your apartment? And her mother gave them the number and they called the lady and she was at home and she said she'd be right over she unlocked the door, got into the apartment, unlocked the sliding glass door, and they went inside. And as she started to leave, she said, well, happy 4th of July, whatever is left of it now. And Kirsten said, my dad looked at her, gave her a little hug and said, forget that. I've had enough independence. <laughs> you see, we are dependent we are dependent on someone who cares, on someone who's willing to put herself out for our well-being. Others need it from us. We need it from others. It's important. And in your baptism, Paul says, you were clothed, you were armed with love. And then in this letter, he says last, hope. Hope. Put on this helmet of hope. No, Dr. Gaventa, Dr. Richard say, don't put it on. It's already been put on you. When you got baptized, it was put on you. You have the helmet of hope. Hope of salvation. The salvation here 
is about wholeness, it's about meaning, as well as it's about what happens when you die. Last Sunday, the fourth chapter we dealt with, didn't have much time after we confirmed all these wonderful young men and women, but that passage was about those who've already fallen asleep, those who are still alive, and what happens at the end time. At the end time. Christ Himself shall come with a shout of command, with the call of an archangel, with the blast of a trumpet, and take us to be with Him forever. Paul says we shall be forever with the Lord. This week, Thursday morning, early breakfast at the Greenwood Cultural Center. It was the first day of our 100th year of statehood. We haven't had statehood 100 years yet, but November 16, we finished 99 years and we've entered the 100th. And so all of the fireworks and the laser shows and the marathon and all that they're doing today is all about a year-long celebration of the fact that Oklahoma became a state November 16, 1907. A prayer breakfast is the way we began, early Thursday morning at the Greenwood Cultural Center. I knew that Jenny Ledoux's Tulsa Children's Chorus was going to sing, and they were wonderful. I couldn't believe all these little ones were up so early in the morning, ready to sing. They sang uh, our national anthem, the Star Spangled Banner. It was masterful. And then they did a special number in Hebrew that was also wonderful. But they weren't singing when I arrived. When I arrived a little bit early, it was Dr. McCutcheon's choir, an all-black choir. African-Americans were singing. Dr. McCutcheon's been a dear friend now for 27 years. I'm in my 27th year. He is in his 47th year in one church. He's been the pastor of his church 47 years. And here was this great outpouring of his choir. Dr. McCutcheon was seated at the same table I was. I had a part on the program. He was going to have a part a little bit after I did. And so he was sitting right at the same table that I was as his great choir was singing. They were doing these powerful arrangements of some of the spirituals. I grew up hearing them. Many of you grew up hearing them as well. The message of black people, African Americans, who have not always had an easy time in this country of ours. And when they sing, God bless America, it carries a different meaning. When they sing, oh, spacious skies, when they sing of mountains and prairies and food, when they've not often had what they needed. Here in Oklahoma, when we've had a fairly sordid history years ago, particularly the race riot that destroyed their business district, that destroyed hundreds of homes and took the lives of many people. And yet here they were, early in the morning, singing about their state of Oklahoma, city of Tulsa, most of all about their God. Nobody knows the trouble I've seen. You know that one. On Jordan's stormy banks I stand and cast a wishful eye. So many of the spirituals are about God who comes finally and takes us out of this life of trouble to be with our Lord forever. Swing low, sweet chariot, coming for to carry me home. Steal away, steal away, 
to Jesus. And it ends, steal away home. On that grade getting up morning, fare thee well, fare thee well. Oh, happy day, oh, happy day when Jesus took my sins away. And there's one, my Lord, what a morning. My Lord, what a morning when the stars start to fall and the trumpet of the Lord sounds. Can you hear it? Then surely you can be grateful.